Hey, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have you with us. Hello to those of you joining us online. Uh, and uh, if you're in a parent viewing room, that's a great option if you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, everybody joining us in our cafe, great to have you as well. Uh, the video you just saw was from last weekend. Uh, we had 142 middle school, high school students and leaders at a retreat. And uh, that was just a quick highlight of uh, the, the weekend that they spent together. So everything from worship, teaching, games, uh, they had all kinds of crazy games that they were doing. And uh, even uh, my teenagers came home and said, uh, man, I'm kind of sore. I'm like, yeah, you're not used to working out those muscles, uh, running all over the place, doing crazy games. So uh, they had a great time connecting with God, connecting with each other, and uh, so thankful for our youth leaders that participate in that, that take time out of their weekend to go and have an influence in the lives of our uh, teenagers. And so awesome that uh, they got to do that. Uh, before we jump in, real quick, I want to remind us not only of worship night and baptism, but if you've never been baptized or if you were baptized uh, as an infant and you're like, hey, now that I've made a decision to follow Jesus, I would like to affirm the decision that my parents made. We want to celebrate that with you. That's two weeks from today. Check that out on your church center app. And then uh, every year we do something called the Legacy Offering. And uh, this is where we receive an offering uh, specifically that we give 100% of it away to some project uh, that we're working on together as a church. And so uh, the goal of this is that we leave a legacy that outlives our lives. That it's not just about what happens here in this building, but what we're doing uh, outside of the walls of this place that really makes a difference. And so uh, this year uh, we're focusing all of our uh, attention and energy towards uh, building a church in a community in Colombia uh, with Compassion International and partnering with them. And so uh, it's a really cool opportunity uh, for $90,000 we can build a church. And so we're just saying this, hey, that's coming up November 19th. Would you pray about what God would have you do as a part of that? And then would you just respond? And the goal, all we say all the time is this, 100% participation and we give 100% of it away. That's the goal that we do every year, uh, this, this weekend each year. So that's coming up November 19th. Keep that on your radar screen and uh, just be praying about what God might have you do. Uh, we're in, uh, I don't even know what week of this series, we've been going through this book that the Apostle Paul, this letter the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century to a group of people in Ephesus. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to log into my Facebook, and I, it was a Sunday evening, and I could not log in. I tried it, and I was like, this is so weird. And uh, come to find out, I had gotten hacked which is uh, unbelievable to me because I had this password that I couldn't even tell you. I, it was just a pattern on a keyboard. I couldn't even tell it to anybody. I just had to be in front of a keyboard and do a specific pattern to remember it. And somehow it got hacked. I was able to get it back, but then it got hacked again and I was able to get it back and it got hacked again. And uh, what I found out is someone had set up two-factor authentication to themselves on my Facebook account. So the, the following uh, day, I thought I had recovered it, and uh, the next Monday, I, I got a call from, uh, or a message from one of our team and said, hey, uh, did you post an ad onto the Westbridge Facebook account for a phone holster that goes on your belt? <laughs> and I was like, no, but I did get hacked last night, but I got it back. And then I went to log in again, and I was hacked again, and I, I'm like, what is going on? Well, all they would do is every time they'd go, hey, I lost my password, and Facebook would then send them uh, a new code to log in. So I kept getting it back and they kept going, hey, I lost my uh, password. And Facebook would just send them a new one. And I got locked out completely. And so then after a, a couple of days, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to get this back. In fact, my whole account was in Vietnamese, which is crazy. I had to use Google Translator just to like 
get to the part where I could try to change the settings and I finally got to some kind of sub page using Google Translator because my whole account was in Vietnamese where I could upload my ID and uh, finally get to the point where uh, after two weeks of being locked out, I got it back. And I now set up two-factor authenticator on my end. I'm like, this ain't happening again. We don't need belt buckles going out to Westbridge people. (laughs) It got me thinking about this question. How many times have you stopped to read all of the fine print when you've seen this screen? How many of you would say this? I've read every word on that screen. That's right. Yeah, nobody, right? Exactly, right? Be honest. Have you ever read this entire screen or do you just click, I agree, uh, because uh, without reading the fine print or the agreement, and I'll be honest with you, I have never stopped to read the fine print. I just click, I agree. I don't know if I'm giving my kids away or sending half my paycheck somewhere or what, but apparently it's enough where you can uh, send your entire Facebook account to Vietnam. In fact, statistically speaking, 99% of people have become desensitized to this screen and simply click, I agree. The the studies have been done. A tech company actually did a survey and more than 99% of people never, ever read the agreement. And I think sometimes uh, we read the scriptures this way as well. Sometimes our approach to the scriptures is that, okay, I love the overall idea. I love the concept, but we don't take the time to study the fine print and see how it might actually impact our lives. And so as we read the verses we're going to read today, I want to suggest that we take the posture of a teacher from Georgia named Donalyn Andrews. This is Donalyn Andrews. She's a teacher from Georgia. Doesn't she look like a great teacher? Wouldn't you want to have her as your like algebra teacher? She just looks so kind and friendly. And uh, she made a commitment five years ago that she would not read any document. She wouldn't sign anything or push I agree on anything until she had read all of the fine print in every document fully. Now, she does not do much other with her life at this point besides just read documents because most of life is reading fine print at this point. But uh, she, she just determined, I'm going to do this. And so sure enough, uh, this is actually a document that she was reading. She booked a trip with some friends. They were going to take a trip to Europe, and she bought the travel insurance. And she was reading all the stuff that none of us read. And she got to the end, and it said, if you're still reading this, send us your name and contact information. You've just won $10,000. Now, so this is not the face of just a happy teacher. This is the face of a teacher that just won 10 grand. Right? That's amazing. And I, I think that... I wonder sometimes when it comes to the scriptures, what would it look like to pay attention to the fine print? Like maybe you've never heard these verses before that we're about to read. So let's read it with this, like, like this attention to detail. Or maybe it's possible you've heard these verses so many times that you've become a little desensitized to it. And so I think if we will pay attention today, no matter what our previous experience is, I think we'll find some $10,000 moments buried in the scriptures that we're going to read today. And remember, this letter that Paul writes to people in Ephesus, two halves. First half is all vertical. Here's everything God has done for you. He has chosen you and adopted you. And because of his grace, he's making you new. And he's invited you into a whole new society. You didn't earn it. It's because of who God is. And you're this living, breathing, walking temple of God. And you get to participate in a whole group of new yous. This new society, this new way of living. And then he shifts to the horizontal in the second half. And he says this, in light of all that God has done for you, this then is how we live that out. As members of this new society, here's how we treat all the other new yous around you. 
And in these next verses, Paul gives instructions for us for how to live out the command of Jesus to love others as Christ has loved us. So we jump into this next section of chapter four in Ephesians. He says, since you have learned about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And Paul says, since we've learned the truth about Jesus, it changes the way that we live. I think sometimes we miss this, and I think when we read the scriptures, we want to focus on the I agree part. Let's just push the button. Let's get this done. And, and we, we like the eternal life part, but we miss the fine print that says we actually have a part to play. And when we say yes to Jesus, we aren't just saying yes to his grace and his mercy. We're saying yes to him leading and guiding our lives. And so I wonder if sometimes we don't want the grace and mercy part, but we're a little bit more reluctant on the God, will you change me part. And here's what you see from every person who encounters the grace of Jesus. Every person, when you, when you read through the eyewitness accounts, every time somebody encountered Jesus, every time they experienced his love and his mercy and his grace, it changed them. There was change that takes place on the inside. Their life starts to look different. And when you truly begin to understand all that God has done for you and how much God is for you, it only makes sense to surrender your life to his leadership, to say, God, I want to give you control of the steering wheel of my life. And so Paul, uh, the language Paul uses for this is very descriptive. He says this, take off, rethink, and put on. Take off the old I want you to rethink and I want you to put on something new. In other words, the imagery is of someone who is taking off one set of clothing and putting on another set of clothing. And we know that we wear different sets of clothing in different settings. The kind of clothes that we wear depends on the role that we are fulfilling, right? So we wear one outfit to our wedding and we wear a different outfit to the apple orchard. That's just natural. And when a prisoner is released from prison, they don't continue to wear what they wore in prison. They intentionally put on a different set of clothes because they are fulfilling a new role in society. Paul says, when it comes to following Jesus, we used to wear a certain set of clothes. We used to blend in with everyone else. But now, because of Jesus, we need to rethink we need to see it differently in light of all that God has done for us. There is a change that takes place, not so that we can be in God's family, but because we already are. And so then uh, he, he brings this up in this section of verses. He says this, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing you will be saved on the day of redemption. In other words, he's saying you're like a prisoner who's been set free and released from our chains. So we ought not to keep wearing the prison uniform. We've got to think differently and we can only put on something new by changing the way that we think. And we can't keep living the way that we used to live. And once we, once we recognize all that God has done for us, we need to make a commitment to discovering God's way of doing things and working to live that out in our lives. That's what it looks like to say yes to Jesus. It's not just, yes, I want to be in heaven when I die. It's, yes, you can be the Lord and the leader of my life here and now. I, I, I will live my life the way that you asked me to live because I trust that your way is best. And I trust that your way is best because of all that you've done for me. 
And so Paul would lay out a new ethic for followers of Jesus, a new way of behaving. And it really isn't new with Paul. Jesus is the one who said to his disciples, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And then Paul comes along and says, now this is what that looks like in our current context. This is how you put this into practice. This is how you love others as Christ has loved you. And once we put these things into practice, the area that it impacts the most is the horizontal relationships we have in our lives. That once we understand all that God has done for us and we start to put some of these things into practice, it impacts us this way. It impacts our relationship with our spouse. It impacts our relationship with our kids. It impacts our relationship with our neighbors. It impacts our relationship with other drivers. It impacts our relationship with people on the golf course and people we work with. It impacts those relationships. And Paul says, these are some relational practices that this is what it looks like to take the, the command of Jesus to love others as I have loved you and to live that out horizontally. These are some things that will change when you take off the old and you rethink these areas and you put on the new. These are some of these practices. And the first one is this, that we would practice transparency, that we would practice a, a radical form of honesty. Now, remember, Paul's saying this, take off the old, Think differently and put on the new. So every one of these areas, Paul says, this is kind of how society works or how you used to do things, but you got to rethink things and now this is how you're going to practice it. And so Paul would start this section with these verses by saying this. He says, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all members of the same body. We're taking off telling lies and we're putting on a new way. We're rethinking and we're going, now we're gonna tell our neighbors the truth. We're all members of one body. Now, the issue isn't that there's a bunch of people in Ephesus just going around telling blatant lies, right? It's deeper than that. Paul is aiming at a, a bigger point. That's just the basic starting point for honesty. Paul's talking about ridding ourselves of all forms of falsehood or deception. When I'm living a life that is free from duplicity, when I'm living a life that's free from deception, free from falsehood, that means I'm living a life of transparency. Uh, in computer language, it used to be that if you were going to create a website, you had to know very specific code and like learn a whole different language and type all kinds of symbols and letters and weird, right? They got to a point where they created a web editor where you could just drag and drop things and then, oh, that's what it looks like. And when I hit save, that's exactly what my web page looked like. They called it WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. It's the acronym. They said, oh, it's a WYSIWYG website. What Paul is saying is, we are to be WYSIWYG people. What you see is what you get. That doesn't mean that you do away with social niceties. Uh, that the honesty doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you just say whatever comes to your mind the moment it comes to your mind. Hey, look at our new baby. That is the ugliest kid I've ever seen in my life. Whoa, buddy, put on a few pounds there, didn't you? It doesn't mean we just say whatever comes to our minds. It means because of our brokenness, we all have a tendency, we all of us, myself included, we have a tendency to shade the truth when it benefits us, when it feels like it is to our advantage. We all have the tendency to shade the truth, to manage our image, to make ourselves, to paint ourselves a little more educated, a little smarter, a little more altruistic than we really are to manage our image. And Paul says, stop doing that. After all, you're members of the same body. Together, you make up parts of the whole. So put off falsehood. Stop telling lies. Stop deception and duplicity and, and trying to manage your image. That's why Paul says we speak the truth in love. We don't hide the truth. 
when it feels uncomfortable. We're members of one body. And it's not helpful to the body if one part is wounded and we hide it. Do you know what happens when one part is wounded, one part of your body is wounded and you try to hide it? It gets infected. It starts to turn gangrene. And that, that means I also must be transparent about my wounds with others. That's why we've used a couple of phrases over the years here at Westbridge Church to help us realize this. We say, man, it's best to live lights on, windows open. That nothing is hidden, including all the ugliness, all the, all the dark parts of me. Because the minute that you have to hide who you really are, it's only a matter of time before you will leave church. Because if, if I have to put on, you know, the right image and a happy face and put on this facade, it's only a matter of time before that slips. And once you see the real me, then I better not show up anymore. We want to keep the shame level low. Because if you have to hide your wounds from the rest of the body, then it's only a matter of time before it gets infected. In fact, Paul's really using hyperbole. He's exaggerating to make a point because you actually can't hide a wound from the other members if you're a part of a body. Have you ever had this experience? You wake up in the middle of the night because um, you just realized you're just getting to that age where you got to go to the bathroom every night. Just me? Okay. So, and you're, you're going to the bathroom and you're, and you're stumbling around in the dark, right? You're trying to make your way in. And, and like 99% of you makes it through the door, but that pinky toe hits the door jam. You ever had that experience? The rest of your body is not unaware of it. You feel it everywhere. And, and it's like, oh, I can't believe that just happened. This is what Paul is saying. If we're truly members of one body... Keeping something from each other really shouldn't be possible. Really, we're, if we're part of one body, when one of us is wounded, all of us feel it. And in an environment of transparency, if we put off falsehood, we can actually face our brokenness together and find hope and healing. That's not the way the rest of society works, by the way. Paul says that's because God is renewing you the way that you used to work. The old you would try to hide any parts of you that felt broken. In this new society of new yous, the group of people that are being made new by Jesus, you don't have to hide your wounds. There's a transparency that says, God accepts us as is. Like, you don't have to change anything to come to Jesus. He loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as is. So here's what I do, and here's what we do. In our brokenness, we go, I'm broken, you're broken. Together we link arms in our brokenness and then we help each other move forward to become everything God's created us to be. That doesn't happen unless we're first vulnerable and transparent and say, here's the areas where I'm broken. And Paul says, so don't, don't tell lies. Put away falsehood. Be honest. Secondly, Paul would say this, practice forgiveness. Now this is huge in the area of relationships, right? We have to take off the old, Rethink this and put on something new. And each area Paul describes is a practice that affects our relationships with other people. Because God is so for you, because of all that God has done for you, that's the vertical, here is how you treat each other. That's the horizontal. And so he would say this in the next verse. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And so Paul would say this. Uh, you know, in your anger... Don't let it control you. A couple things to note. First, it's not a sin to be angry. Paul doesn't say, you better not ever get angry. He says, no, when you get angry, 
Anger is just an emotion. It just happens. It just is. And you can't control when you experience an emotion. So Paul doesn't say don't get angry. We can't control the emotion of anger. We can only control our response when we do get angry. And Paul gives some very helpful advice, some practical wisdom when we experience anger. First, he says, deal with your anger as quickly as possible. Don't sit on it. Don't let it fester. Uh, That's when bitterness will set in. If possible, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Now, that's a great rule of thumb. And I heard this even from my parents growing up. They're like, we never let the sun go down on our anger. And I've heard that from married couples. I think it's a good rule of thumb, generally speaking, right? I've heard it like, we just, we never let the sun go down on our anger. We never go to bed angry. We've been awake for seven days, but, you know, we're going to work it out. And generally speaking, that's a good rule of thumb. But there are some situations that require more than a 24-hour period, right? Sometimes, like, you're fighting at 3 in the morning, you're not even human. Like, go to bed, pick it up the next day, right? What Paul is saying is this. Deal with your anger as quickly as possible because unresolved anger leads to bitterness and resentment. And it gives the enemy of your soul an advantage. It's like the enemy is able to do advanced scouting on your playbook. If you've been following anything that's gone on in college football. When you don't resolve anger, you can carry your anger with you from one season of life into the next. So here's what happens. The anger, the hurt that you experience in middle school, you carry it with you into high school. The anger, the hurt that you experience in high school, you carry it with you into college. The the hurt and the anger that you experience in your young adult life, you carry it with you into your marriage. And this is just human nature. It can be so easy for us to lose sight of the original source of our hurt. And now it's the people that we love the most in this season of life who are experiencing the fallout of our anger, our bitterness, our resentment. It, it, Paul says it actually allows the devil, which is a word that he describes as, uh, it comes from a, a word that means the accuser or the one who stands against. So Paul says this, it's like the accuser is able to set up camp in your mind. You know this is true. When someone has hurt you and you don't resolve it right away, what happens in your own mind? Don't you start to write a story about them? You start to write a story about their intentions and about all all of their motives, and pretty soon it's like they've, they've become this huge villain in your own mind. That's because Paul says, when you don't resolve it quickly, it it allows the accuser to set up camp in your mind. And you start to write a story about that person that may or may not even be true. And so he, he gives us a few verses later sort of the remedy for this. He says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. In other words, that's the old. That's the old outfit. That's what you gotta take off. Instead, this is where we rethink, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Anytime you've been hurt by someone, there is a sense that there is a debt-debtor relationship. Anytime someone hurts you, anytime through their words or their actions, the sense is, you stole something from me. You, You took something from me. That's why we feel we use financial language, like you owe me an apology. Or, uh, you know, uh, forgiveness is actually a financial term. It means someone owes a debt, and to have the debt canceled is to forgive the loan. Forgiveness is a financial term. The way the world works is that if someone owes you something, you don't let them off the hook until they pay you back. 
That's the way the world works, right? But we are now members of a new society. Paul says we've been made new, so we operate differently. Paul says we forgive, meaning we literally cancel the debt of what we feel they owe us. Payback isn't the only option to closing that account. And oftentimes, the thing that we feel they stole from us, they couldn't pay it back if they wanted to. So all we can do is cancel the debt. And you don't want to allow your past to dictate your present and control your future. But here's the key. Paul says you have to forgive one another. And most of us think we can't do this because we have bought into this false notion that forgiveness is a feeling, that it's an emotion. Well, when enough time has passed and there's enough healing that takes place and, and I, don't, you know, I can think differently about that person, maybe I'd be willing to forgive them. But it's not an emotion. Forgiveness is actually a decision. That's the whole point of forgiveness. It goes against my natural feelings. Forgiveness is not something that we try to do. It's something that we don't give our best shot at. We do it or we don't. It's a decision. It's a specific moment and a specific action where I say this. Because of your words or because of your actions, you stole from me. But I'm choosing that you don't owe me anymore. I'm just going to close that account. I'm going to close that ledger. You don't owe me anymore. And I think one of the reasons we choose not to forgive is because we feel if we forgive, it lets them off the hook. That doesn't seem fair. If we forgive, they don't have to pay us back. It makes it too easy for them. Our sense of fairness tells us that people should pay for what they do. And that's because we often believe that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. They've offended me. They've hurt me. They've stolen from me. And if I forgive them, that's to their benefit. And the reality is, what we discover all through the scriptures is that forgiveness is for the benefit of the forgiver. That when I choose not to forgive, I'm actually carrying around this open account, this open ledger. It becomes a burden to myself. And that when I forgive someone else, it actually sets me free from carrying around that open account. And when we don't forgive, we get trapped by bitterness and anger and resentment. And it affects us way more than it affects the person who hurt us. When we don't forgive, the lens through which we see people becomes distorted. And so because God loves us and because God wants us to have healthy relationships, he says, look, you got to make a choice to forgive. And because Paul knows we fight our own internal sense of fairness on this, he gives us the context. He says, you forgive others just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, maybe you're just exploring faith in God. Maybe, maybe you're checking out church or you're trying to figure out where do I stand with God. But if you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you've recognized it's because uh, he's forgiven me of my sins, the moment that you receive forgiveness from God, you take that in, you recognize because of God's forgiveness, I can be in right standing with God, you lose the right to withhold forgiveness from other people. In fact, if you really want to forgive someone else who's hurt you, You'll never find the strength to forgive them by looking at the person who has hurt you. You only find the strength to forgive others when you look to the one who has forgiven you. When you recognize all that God has forgiven you, then it gives you the strength to extend that same forgiveness to others. So Paul says, you got to forgive. I know that's not how the world works, but you take off what's old. Instead, Forgive as God through Christ has forgiven you. Not because they deserve it, but it will set you free 
And it's what God gave to you. So you've got to give that to others. It's a new way of thinking. Here's the third thing Paul would say. Practice generosity. Practice generosity. One of the areas where we take off and rethink and put on is in this area of greed and generosity. Uh, The world views money and resources through a particular lens, but when you think about things differently, you'll do things differently. So here's what Paul says in the next verse. He writes, if you're a thief, quit stealing. It's pretty straightforward, right? Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. This is a pretty straightforward instruction. Hey, for those of you who are stealing, stop it. Okay, Paul. Like, hey, if you could stop taking things that don't belong to you, that'd be great. But also, this applies to the way that we handle ourselves in our jobs, paying our taxes, punching our time cards. Uh, Paul is saying we are to operate with integrity and not take shortcuts when it comes to things that don't belong to us. And so remember, the context Paul is speaking into is this contrast. It's the old way of viewing things. It's a rethinking and now a brand new way. The way that society functions, the old way, this new way that this new society of new use functions. The way our world works is you look out for yourself. You make sure you get what you have coming to you. And even if you have to take shortcuts, and even if you have to take advantage of others, and even if you have to hurt others in the process, because that's the way the world works. The, the, the mindset in our world is, if I don't, then it won't. So it's on me. i got to make things happen, or it won't happen. And Paul reminds us, in this new society, we operate differently. We are sons and daughters in God's family, so we reflect the generosity of our Heavenly Father. We don't do whatever we can to look out for ourselves, but we recognize everything I have has been entrusted by God. The old way is thinking like this. If it comes to me, it must be for me, and I'll do everything I can to get more. The new way, Paul says, is this. It's open-handed. It's, God, everything I have has come from you. You've entrusted it to me anyways, and so I want to manage it well so that I can be generous to others in need. Man, it frees us to be generous with all he's given us. And for some of you, you'd say this. I've been a follower of Jesus for years and years and years. But this is one area where you've had a difficult time surrendering to the way of Jesus. It's like, man, Jesus has impacted me in the area of my anger and my hurts, and I'm able to forgive, and I'm able to encourage others, and I'm able to be transparent with my own areas of brokenness. But man, this one area of generosity is something that I, I still tend to live like this. Is it possible that it's time to take off the old, rethink our relationship with material possessions, And start to live a generous life. Paul says this will impact our relationships. It'll impact our faith. So we practice transparency. We practice forgiveness. In this new society, we practice generosity. And then Paul would say this. We practice encouragement. Encouragement. The way that we talk to each other. The way that we speak to and about one another should be encouraging. It should build others up. Several years ago, the Harvard Business Review uh, came out with an article that reported on several different studies that have been done about our words, the way that we talk to each other, the way that we talk about each other. Specifically, different groups studied the ratio of positive words to negative words. And they were looking for a a correlation between that ratio and the health of our relationships. And the first was Dr. John Gottman, who studies marriages. He said, it takes five positive words for every one negative word. 
And then if you're at a ratio of five to one, that will help you to have a healthy marriage. And he could predict with 94% accuracy which marriages were healthy and which marriages were on the road to divorce simply by that one ratio. And then another group came along and started tracking workplace teams. And they came to the same conclusion. It's five uh, positive comments for every one negative comment provides the most productive and successful workplace teams. And then some child specialists came along and studied parenting. And they confirmed the other studies and said, if you were to pick a, a ratio that would maximize a child's motivation and self-esteem and security, it's a five to one positive to negative ratio. Now, you still need the one. Uh, right? You still need to speak discipline and boundaries and correction. But a child needs to grow up in an environment of life giving words. And what's amazing is there's no uh, sort of faith element attached to any of these things. There were just observations made about how humans interact with each other. And here's the sobering thought. These are the most successful marriages and the most successful companies. And, you know, th these are the average American lives with three negative words to every one positive. That's kind of where we live, which makes me feel a little bit better about me because, you know, to be honest with you, I haven't mastered this. When you speak from your weaknesses, you never run out of material. And here's the reality. I look back at my life, I go, I don't know if I'm clipping along at a five to one ratio. I don't know that I'm five positive words for every one negative. And yet, here, here's what Paul would write to followers of Jesus. He says, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There are two categories of words Paul addresses. Uh, the, the word Paul uses for unwholesome means rotten or corrupted, meaning something that rots or decays over time. Instead, Paul says, do the opposite of that. Use words that actually build people up. Use words that actually create a foundation for people to build upon. Be building blocks that help create a foundation for their lives. He's talking about the ratio of words. And I love that Paul doesn't say, let no unwholesome talk come into your mind. Because we all have these words that just come to our mind, right? And they're just sitting right there loaded and ready to be launched, right? Say me, say me, say me, say me. And Paul says, no, you need to keep them from escaping your lips or possibly your keyboard. The contrast, according to Paul is that we need to be more intentional about pushing out the words that build others up. That we are intentional about holding back the destructive words and more intentional about pushing out the words that build other people up. Well, how do I know which are which? Paul would say this, according to their needs. According to their needs, which is a little unnatural because when I'm talking to someone, I'm not always thinking about what is their needs. I'm usually thinking about my needs. I'm usually, you know, something to say, I, I want to say something for my benefit, not necessarily for their benefit. But what if, before I shoot off my mouth and share my opinion and my reaction, what if I ask this simple question? What do they need to hear in order to build them up? And maybe you're thinking, I got nothing. I got nothing for them. I, I, you know, I can't, I can't come up with anything nice to say to them right now. Great. That's step one. Don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, right? Don't let anything escape your lips that will tear them down. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. It just means love requires that you ask, what is good for them before I speak? And what if I actually do have something good and positive to say? Then be intentional about saying it. Don't hold that back. 
We've been given the power of our words, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. So, let me give you this final thought, and then we'll close. When the way you think, as you change the way you think, you take off the old, you rethink, you put on the new, when the way that you think is in line with Jesus, your life becomes focused on loving others. It's just the natural byproduct. When you start to rethink in line of the vertical, Paul says you, in, you automatically just become more invested in the horizontal. Paul arrives at the end of these relational guidelines. And by the way, this isn't an exhaustive list. He's not saying like these are the four. These are just examples of what it looks like to take Jesus' command to love as he has loved us and to live that out. So after talking through a brand new ethic and a way of interacting with one another, Paul would say this. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. It's like Paul goes, okay, you take off the old, you, you rethink how you're going to live your life, and then you put on the new. He goes, like, for instance, like, stop telling lies. Instead, we're going we're gonna to practice transparency. And it's like, you know, for instance, um, in, the, in the way that you deal with one another, practice transparency. Uh, stop getting angry at each other and just holding on to that, and instead, practice forgiveness. It's a new way. Uh, you know, stop stealing and looking out for yourselves and start being generous. It's a new way of thinking about things. And, and by the way, stop this unwholesome talk and start building each other up. It's a new way of thinking. And it's like he gets to the end of that and he goes, really, just in everything, just imitate God in everything you do because you are his dear children. You don't imitate God so that you can become his children. You imitate God because you already are. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. The, the pleasing aroma is the way that Jesus said, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for the benefit of others. And when you follow the example of Jesus in your relationships, it's going to cause you somewhere along the way to sacrifice something you want in the moment for the benefit of someone else. That's just the reality. And Paul says this isn't an exhaustive list. These are just a few that come to the top of my mind. Ultimately, just imitate Jesus in all you do. Which means you might have to sacrifice your image for the sake of transparency. Somewhere along the way, you might have to sacrifice payback for the sake of forgiveness. You might have to sacrifice wealth for the sake of integrity and generosity. You might have to sacrifice what you want to encourage and build up others. If you imitate Jesus in all you do, you find yourself becoming increasingly more focused on loving other people. And transparency isn't just good for you. It's helpful for the whole body. Forgiveness doesn't just help you. It heals the body. The collective group called the church, the body of Christ. Generosity doesn't just help you. It grows the body. In fact, encouragement doesn't just help you. It builds up the body. And since God is for you, since God is so for you and loves you, he's also for all the other yous around you. Like the, the way that we show our love for God, the best way to show our love for God is how well we love the people he's put in our life. If all we do is focus on the vertical and we ignore the horizontal, we're not loving like Jesus. We're not imitating Jesus very well. And Paul would say, no, no, the best way to show your love for God is how well you love the yous around you because you've been made new and the person next to you is becoming a new you. And so how well you love the you around you best displays your love for God. So not just in these areas, Paul would say, in every area, 
Let's not just function the way society functions. Let's take off the old. Let's rethink how we live. Let's put on the new, living out the way of Jesus, even when it requires sacrifice on our part because we have been made new. Now, maybe you're here today and you say this. I've, I've never said yes to following Jesus. I, I'm just, I'm exploring what faith in God looks like. And let me just tell you, here's the message of the scriptures cover to cover. God is building a family and he wants you in it. And maybe you've never said yes to that, but God created us to live in loving community with him, vertical, and one another, horizontal. But from the first humans to every one of us, we said, God, thanks, I got this. I'm gonna do it my own way. And it caused brokenness between us and God and us and each other. And so at the right time in human history, God sent Jesus into the world. God, divinity, took on human form to show us what it looks like to live in relationship with God and others. And the ultimate expression of love, he allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. I love the, the words we sing to this song. Death was never going to hold you, so it's never going to hold me. That means that death is not the end. There's more to this life than this life. And you and I have been invited to be a part of God's family. It's not something you earn your way into or behave your way into. It's an invitation from the God who created you and loves you. And all you have to do is say yes. If you'd like to say yes, just agree with this simple prayer. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. And I'm so grateful that you never walk away from me. So I pray, make me your son, make me your daughter, and help me to do my best to put my trust in you and to follow your way of living as best as I know how, because I believe you're for me. I believe your way of living is the best way to live. And God, I pray for every one of us, as we follow you, help us to take off the old, to rethink how we live, and to put on the new. And as we do that, may it reflect your love, your grace, to the people that we come into contact with. May we point others to you by the way that we live. We pray this in your name. Amen.